Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Shattuck. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes David Wallen, a clinical psychologist, for part one of their discussion on the necessity of the therapist's self-revelation. So my guest today on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast is Dr. David Wallen. He is a clinical psychologist in private practice in Albany, California. He graduated magna cum laude from Harvard and received his doctorate from the Wright Institute in Berkeley. He's been practicing, teaching, and writing about psychotherapy for more than three decades. Attachment and Psychotherapy, his most recent book, is presently being translated into a dozen languages. And he is also the co-author with Stephen Goldberg of Mapping the Terrain of the Heart, Passion, Tenderness, and the Capacity to Love. Dr. Wallen has lectured on attachment and psychotherapy in Australia, New Zealand, Europe, Canada, and all throughout the United States. His website is attachmentinpsychotherapy.com. So I first learned of Dr. Wallen when I bought his book, I think pretty soon after it was released, uh, his 2007 book, Attachment in Psychotherapy. And I think one of the things that those of us who practice from an attachment-based orientation find is that there's lots and lots and lots about theory and lots and lots and lots um, about what Bowlby wrote and research about babies and the strange situation and various classifications. And we even now have the adult attachment interview in terms of looking at adult attachment classifications. But in terms of actually what does understanding that mean in individual psychotherapy with individuals? The theory, the research, all of that, how do we operationalize that in our work with our clients? And Dr. Wallen's book really was so helpful in terms of understanding that, thinking about that, conceptualizing that. So after I read his book, I, of course, looked up, you know, where could I see him speak? Where could I go to any lectures? Does he have any other books? And I was fortunate uh, to be able to attend all-day workshops with him several times in the Chicago area. And one might have been in St. Louis. I'm trying to remember. It's one of the wonderful things about working for Chadak, where I work, is we are able to attend various trainings it truly is a learning organization. So I know I saw him at least twice and I uh, behaved like a, a groupie when I saw him. I uh, was so excited to meet him and talk to him and get him to sign my book. So I'm walking on air in terms of being able to interview him today. So I think all of you are really going to enjoy this podcast and I look forward to sharing it with everyone. Here we go. Shall we plunge in? Yes, let's plunge in. 
So, you know, I will do, there will be a, a formal presentation of your background that will be added to the podcast, but I always like to just ask, you know, you, you know, to yeah. share a little bit in a more informal way about your background and how you come to this work. So that's sure, kind of how I'll sure. start things out. So yeah, our, that's, a, that's, that's a fine way to start things out. Okay, um, You know, I think that... Um, like like many ther many therapists, uh, I, I think I was prepared developmentally for this work. In other words, um, I, I mean, I, I have a theory which I can, I, you know, I can begin with right now. Uh, and it's not really my theory alone. And it's a theory very much in keeping with the, the archetype of the wounded healer, but informed by attachment theory research. Okay. And um, so I'll lay out the theory and then I'll tell you my story briefly. I mean, the, the theory essentially is that you might say, uh, you know, that the, the, the choice to become a therapist has its earliest roots in the unresolved un trauma of the parents of, of that future therapist. And um, essentially what happens, and again, entirely in keeping with attachment theory research, is that the, the parent's unresolved trauma is activated as they are uh, taking care of an infant. Uh, the infant's inconsolability or okay. uh, tantrums uh, or what have you are activating. Mm -hmm. And so the, the parent who gets activated winds up inadvertently um, traumatizing the, uh, the child mm -hmm. um, who develops traces or more of disorganization in um, his or her own attachment patterning, me me meaning that this is a child who has grown up with parents experienced as scary, with right. one one or both ex par parents experienced as scary, and um, you know the research shows that uh, parents can be scary to their kids not only when they're frankly abusive, uh, but also when they are when their own unresolved uh, trauma is activated and they respond either by withdrawing from the from the child yes in fear yes or they dissociate they space yeah. out they trance out and you know for a child whose literal as well as emotional survival depends on the uh responsive you know availability sensitive responsiveness and so on of the attachment figure that you know, abuse is obviously frightening, but right. I think it's also frightening for a kid uh, when the parent seems anxious and, and withdraws, uh, or when the parent seems physically present but emotionally absent. I think that's a bit of a freakout. So, so I think that this is in the background for many a therapist to be, and the other piece of the attachment theory picture that's relevant here is the finding that when kids are disorganized at, uh, you know, in infancy, uh, 
generally by the time they're four, five, six years of age, they have actually developed an organized attachment strategy. And the research uh, shows that this strategy comes in one of two forms. There's what's called a controlling punitive strategy and there's a controlling caregiving strategy. And both of these strategies kind of upend or invert the ordinary parent-child hierarchy where the parent is kind of on top. Mm -hmm. But in, in these, uh, with the use of these strategies, the child winds up flipping it. And, and so in the controlling uh, punitive strategy, the child starts to order the parents around, is very angry at the parents and so on. Uh, and uh, with the controlling caregiving strategy, it's as if we uh, find a way to take charge or take control of scary parents by taking care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems to me that the sketch I've just uh, laid out for you, um, r- really it suggests that, that many of us who become therapists have had our first clinical training in the family setting. You know, our first practicum is at mom's knee or dad's knee. And we learn some rudimentary uh, therapeutic skills like, um, interactive emotion regulation, you know, we find a way to somehow manage the scary parents' anger or depression or withdrawal or what have you. Um, We learn to read the parents' mind, obviously, you know, mind reading or mentalizing, as it's known more formally, is a very useful, uh, it's an essential skill, really, for therapists. Mm -hmm. And... um, so these are the kind of skills we we learn, and so when it comes time to choose a gig, it's like, oh, being a therapist, oh, I I know how to do that. And then I think there are you know ad- additional benefits like, you know, the promise of resolving some of our own uh, psychological issues, um, you know, maybe the hope of allaying some of our own trauma-based shame by being, you know, highly uh, beneficial or effective in relation to other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think those are kind of the roots of the, uh, the choice to become a therapist. And, and yes. I think that that, that, those, that that history winds up equipping well, let's put it this way. I think it's a history that confers both, uh, what would I say, advantages, strengths on the one hand, but also liabilities, vulnerabilities on the other hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the, in the strengths department, I think we're in a position to help our patients on the basis of a partial identification with the experiences of our patients who have unhappy or traumatic childhoods, because Uh we we know that experience firsthand and we also know how to, in some ways to grow out of it, if Mm -hmm. if we had some good therapy and a good marriage or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in terms of the liabilities, I think, you know, there's significant liabilities, but the the one that always stands out for me is the, the vulnerability to shame. You know, I think trauma and shame are hard 
you know, it's hard to experience an intense version of trauma without uh, internalizing a lot of shame. It's hard to experience a lot of shame without that being traumatizing. So right. shame and trauma are sort of welded one to the other. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think the shame that we carry as therapists with the sort of traumatic beginnings that I've described is generally not insu not insignificant. And, um, you know, I think that shame can have all sorts of, you know, somewhat problematic consequences. I think as a function of that shame, it can be very difficult to... Um, to confront patients, uh, to uh, set limits with patients, to you know actively engage and struggle with patients, because uh -huh. I think that can that risks activating the shame because we're yes. doing something that makes the patient uncomfortable or makes the patient hurt or makes the patient angry or 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 what have you. Um, so in terms of my own history, I mean, that basically, I, mean, I think, you know, there's a famous book by, um, let's see, Stolero, Atwood, and Brandshaft called Faces in a, there's well-known self-psychologists who wrote a book called Faces in a Cloud. You know, the, the cloud is a Rorschach. And what they were saying is that the theory of all sorts of different therapists, including Freud and Jung and maybe Rogers and others, that the theory is a, you know, faces in the cloud. They see their own experience in the theory that they're trying to, um, to sketch, and uh, or the, the you know the, you know the short version is the theory in some ways can be seen to come from personal experience. I don't think that dis counts the value of the theory. So anyhow, I've got this theory and it just happens to line up perfectly <laughs> with my own experience. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up with a very problematic, uh, you know, wonderful uh, mother, but she would, what would I say? When she was good, she was very, very good. When she was bad, she was horrid. And, uh, you know, she was alcoholic, would fly into terrible, uh, terrifying rages and um, you know so I grew up with a lot of fear and shame because I was a, a target of a kind of uh, you know vicious uh, self uh, destroying sort of attack and um, and then you know at a certain age God knows when and my guess is very 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 young I I essentially became my mother's confidant. I mean, I was sort of a, in some ways, a kind of uh, informally uh, a therapist to her, you know, tried to kind of help her manage her uh, difficult experience. I mean, and while never making any of that the least bit explicit, that was, that was sort of my job description. And so I, I became good at doing a lot of things that therapists need to do. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Making sense of the experience of other people, empathizing with other people, mm -hmm. helping to manage the emotions of other people and so on. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's so much in, in what you just shared. Uh, uh, you know, even just what you first started out with, with the, uh, 
um, frightened or frightening behavior. You know, yes, exactly. you know, Eric has these work and trying to tease that out. And I remember when I first heard that, well, yeah, like you said, well, of course we know something overtly abusive, exactly. but um, zoning out or, or so, I mean, we don't realize that that can, I think can have, uh, many people don't realize that can it's have right. equally disorganizing, <laughs> be equally disorganizing for a baby. Like, that's right. Yeah. That's, yeah. So I think yeah. some of it even is there's some subtleties to it that um, people who are less aware, self-aware than you are may not yeah. really realize the drive to, to how they got here to be a therapist. Yes. 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 I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I found, I mean, I've taught, lots and lots and lots of therapists in small groups and large groups. And my, my impression, certainly from the small groups where all this conversation can be quite explicit, um, my impression is that many, probably most, if not all, therapists have a history that lines up roughly or exactly with, with the history that I've sketched. Um, so yeah, you know, just a, a little brief story. I was making a presentation at the uh, International Attachment Conference, which I think occurs maybe every couple of years, I'm not sure. But in any case, this was in Italy. And uh, so I was about to make my presentation to the, the, the large group. Let me turn off my phone here so I'll be less distracted. Um, and um, right before me, uh, the presenter was this guy, Giovanni Liotti. Do you know his work? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so he's done a lot of work with uh, uh, disorganized attachment and dissociation, mm -hmm. uh, I think in, in particular, and, uh, and trauma and so on. Anyway, so he made his presentation, which was essentially about what attachment theory teaches us that's relevant to working with so-called borderline patients. Hmm. And at the very end of his presentation, right before I was going to go on, and what I was going to be talking about largely was the impact of the psychology of the therapist. Yes. So at the very end of his presentation, he said something like, um, and you know, the the borderlines that I've been talking about generally have what the researchers call a controlling punitive strategy. But it's my guess that most of you in this room have what the researchers call a controlling caregiving strategy. Oh, great lead into your theory. <laughs> right, I mean, it was kind of weird. I felt sort of like, oh my God, he just summed up the whole talk in about three sentences. <laughs> But, but I get in a way like that it's it was obviously sort of validating because clearly I'm not the only one to have thought these thoughts mm -hmm. and uh, yeah yeah so yeah 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 and so you know um, when you think about enactments and, yeah. and and you write about this at length in your book I mean share yeah. with us some of your your thoughts about how this is all interrelated and yeah and, yeah yeah um, you know, th there's a lot that I could say, but, but what occurs to me immediately is, is this, uh, that, 
Um, you know, Bowlby said that the mother's role, no, the therapist's role, mm -hmm. the therapist's role is analogous to that of a mother who functions as a secure base and enables her kids to explore the world or whatever. Um, so, so, so the idea is that um, there's a way in which the, as an attachment-oriented therapist, the way that I, and I think other attachment-oriented therapists see the therapy relationship is, it is essentially a new attachment relationship. And that relationship, maybe with the secure base at its foundation, is the primary therapeutic intervention. Um, so I think there's lots of overlap between, as Bowlby points out, between what we provide as good parents on the one hand and good therapists on the other hand. And a part of that overlap, it seems to me, has to do with the fact that whether we're parenting a child or functioning as the therapist to a patient, it's critical that we attend to a dimension of the relationship that's not spoken. With it's you know obviously kids can't you know babies don't talk mm -hmm. and so parents have to um, translate their babies nonverbal cues and signals and you know whatever the vibes and the kind of the subtle undercurrents in the relationship of an attachment figure and a baby are parent has to or the attachment figure has to translate those into an understanding of what's going on you know inside the baby's mind and body mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, and it seems to me that the same thing is true in psychotherapy that in therapy it, it's, it's complicated because the way I think about it is that there's two ongoing streams of experience uh, you know the first is the therapeutic conversation that's mostly uh, explicit it's conducted largely in words um, it's got a lot of deliberateness to it. You know, we say certain, certain things as therapists, we say them for a reason that we're consciously aware of. Um, and by contrast, the second stream of experience that's always part of the interaction is what I like to call the nonverbal subtext. In other words, it consists of what uh, has been called um, implicit relational knowing. Mm -hmm. uh, it, 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 it's, it's not, you know, I mean, one, one thing that cognitive scientists have discovered is that there's two very distinct forms of memory in the brain and mind. You know, there's what's called uh, explicit declarative knowing, which is mm -hmm. about knowing facts and events and uh, and then there's the implicit procedural knowing that has much more it's got less to do with knowing that something is true like you know you and I are talking together with the help of a marvelous uh, invention <laughs> called zoom yeah. but um, you know Im, you know the the implicit procedural knowing is not knowing that something is true, it's knowing how something is done. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And so it seems to me that what our patients and what we are constantly playing out at the level of the nonverbal subtext is our implicit, largely non-conscious ways of knowing how to be with other people, how to relate to other people. And even more specifically, it's our knowledge uh, that we kind of know in our bones without necessarily being able to think it or speak it. It's our implicit knowledge that winds up only being known as it is enacted, as it is played out. And that's the knowledge of, you know, how to be with other people. And as I said, explicitly for therapists in a developmental relationship. Yes. Because therapy, like our relationship with the attachment figures of childhood, it's a relationship geared, hopefully, to foster uh, development or the resumption of healthy development and the working with or the resolving of the barriers to uh, to healthy development. Yes. Uh, and so I think a lot of the lessons we learn, I learn, you learn, other therapists learn at, you know, early in life, probably pre-verbally, lessons we learn include things like uh, other people can be scary. Um, other people have to be um, in some ways um, managed. Uh, lest they get out of control, lest they feel too much. Um, and that the way that we manage the difficult emotions of other people is largely through soothing, nurturing, somehow finding ways to take care of other people. And I think that sort of implicit relational knowing about how to be a parenthesis here, like this whole idea of implicit relational knowing. Like, I, I'm not sure, it, it, you know, I think for many people, this understanding is not immediately self-evidently true. But think about this for a moment, those of you who've had the experience of parenting. You know, you may have all sorts of criticisms of your own parents and their parenting. But lo and behold, when you actually need you have a baby and you have to function as a parent or you have a small child and you have to function as a parent just think of those times when you have found yourself channeling mom or channeling dad and th these are the very parents whose parenting you were so critical of but it's it's kind of in our uh psychological dna having grown up with a certain kind of parenting, like we have this implicit, we have this implicit relational knowing that kind of tells us how to do that. Right. Uh, and, I, and I think the problem for, for many of us as therapists is that we kind of do our therapist thing without necessarily wondering a lot, like how much of this is, um, uh, automatic. I mean, because part of the nonverbal subtext, this, this, uh, you know, unthought and unknown aspect of who we are as people, um, 
it plays out automatically. It's not chosen. And, and we might not even be aware of it until we're in the process of enacting it. So I guess what I'm saying is that our histories can function as a kind of um, straitjacket that, that confines our responsiveness our responsiveness to certain sorts of patterns, uh, some of which may not be in the patient's interest. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And so, so getting on, and so getting on top of what's going on inside us uh, is a way to increase the probability that what we do will wind up benefiting our patients rather than um, kind of putting a low ceiling on what we're capable of providing for our patients. Yes. You know, I, and I, you know, I can tie this up with enactments and, you know, how we work with enactments, uh, but maybe, I don't know, maybe you have some questions or. Well, uh, yeah, I know that uh, I've heard you talk about the myth of the therapist leaving. Like they, they, the all good therapist. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like they're sort yeah. of leaving all that at the door, and then they're coming in as this. All That's ex exactly. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me of that. That's a great <laughs> point. This concludes part one of the two-part conversation between Karen Doyle Buckwalter and David Wallet on the necessity of the therapist's self-revelation. Part two will be published Tuesday, July 23rd at noon Eastern. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.